Well, good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. Oh, come on now. Good morning and happy Sabbath, everyone. Scarlett, thank you for the uh, for the talk. I, I reckon we should um, practice what uh, what Scarlett just preached. So if you take a deep breath from your diaphragm, <gasps> nobody's breathing. Come on, you're leaving me hanging here. Take, taking a deep breath and getting rid of that fight or flight. <laughs> Daniel's like, no, I'm not breathing. <laughs> but don't get too comfortable. I don't want you to fall asleep. I hope you guys had a very good uh, Christmas and Boxing Day. Um, in the past, I've always been skeptical of, uh, of Boxing Day just because I kind of... The first year I was here in Melbourne, I walked into uh, David Jones because we used to live uh, right at the corner of the city. And I was like, oh, I'm going to check out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check out these big sales on the most expensive store that I can think of. And I walked into David Jones and it was like... Levi's jeans, 40% off, and I picked them up, and it was like $70, and I put the jeans down, and I walked out of the store, <laughs> and you can tell from my accent, I'm not from around here, and so um, coming from the U.S., Levi's jeans are like $30, maybe, and so having them on sale for 70 I was like appalled. I was like, nope, not doing this ever again. Well, this year, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try Boxing Day one more time. So I went to Kohl's, <laughs> and I was walking through the aisles of Kohl's, and in the toy section, there was like these $40 sets of Hot Wheels for $15, and I looked at the shelf, and there were 21 available, and I bought almost all of them. I almost bought all of them because our sons have birthday parties that they go to, and next year, Christmas, I was like, I'm planning ahead. <laughs> like, you, If you spend less money, then you save it in the future. And so I, I almost put all of them in the shopping cart, and I thought, I should leave it for somebody else. And so I left four there. <laughs> so that was, that was my Boxing Day adventure for this year. Um, you'll notice that my family is missing today. If you can keep Jinha, Micah, and Joshua in prayer, they're all really sick, and from the looks of it, I think there are a lot of people who are sick. And, you know, you would think it's a warm time of year and people are going to be warm. But anyway, uh, my family is sick, so if you can keep them in prayer, that would be great. So it's the last Sabbath of the year. Um, welcome to church. And for those of you who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, it's the last Sabbath of this year, and we're kind of in that transition period of welcoming in the new year saying goodbye to the old and saying hello to the new. And so today's sermon is entitled, Happy Old Year. Happy Old Year. I want to ask you a reflective question as we begin. And that question is, how was your year? Just have a think about it. How was your year? Was it all you had hoped it would be? Was it better? Was it worse? Did you achieve all of your goals, all of your KPIs, was it relationally satisfying? Did you get to travel as much as you hoped? Maybe it was a difficult year. Maybe 2019 will be that year that was just kind of littered with challenges. Uh, I shared already at the small group that took place in Williamstown uh, just a couple weeks ago. But for me, I experienced a lot of both. I experienced a lot of difficulty and uh, there was a point in time where I was telling, uh, I was looking online and kind of thinking, how much can I get paid as a tram operator? I I'd do that. I don't think I have to go to school for that. <laughs> and there were moments where I was just like, man, I'm just, I am not good at my job. 
Then there was then, then there were highs of this year where I kind of felt on top of the world where I kind of thought, man, everything is going my way. Like it just cannot possibly get better. So I just I, I experienced some extremes this year, and I'll I'll share a little bit more about that. But today I want to share with you how Paul's relationship with Christ, his relationship gave him perspective on his past achievements, his successes, and his failures. And it allowed him, it, it redirected his future. It gave him guidance for his future goals. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer one more time before we open God's word. Father God, we come before you today. And um, as it's the end of the year, I just want to pray that you would come into this place, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us healing from the hurt of the past that you would give us perspective on our success of the past, and that you would redirect our future. And so we just invite your Holy Spirit to come into this place as we read your word. We pray in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading through a good portion of this chapter, Philippians chapter 3. For those of you who have the World Changer Bibles, it's going to be page 948, page 948, Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to read verses 13 to 17. So Philippians chapter 3, looking at page 948. Okay, so we're, we read starting in verse 13, and I'm going to be reading sometimes from a different translation, but you have the New Living Translation in front of you. So starting from verse 13, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Verse 16, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I want to highlight two main things from this passage. The first thing is verse 13. Notice Paul says, I let go of the past. He knows what to let go of. And just as important, if you look at verse 16, it says that he holds on. He says, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. So he also knows what to hold on to. And so Paul, knowing what to let go of and what to hold on to, gives him the ability to then move forward towards the goal, towards the end of the race to receive the prize that God has for him. Sometimes it's difficult to let go. It's difficult to let go of pain. It's difficult to let go of pleasure. It's difficult to let go of pride. It's equally difficult to hold on to certain things. It's difficult to hold on to mercy, to hold on to maturity, to hold on to that which is meaningful. But as we look at the first half of Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see how Paul goes about doing this. We're going to see how Paul lets go and how he clings to that which is important. When We're going to look at Philippians 3 verses 3 to 7. 
And I want to introduce this section of text by saying that Paul is going to introduce his successes as a person. Then contrast that to the value that he finds in Christ, which then explains his future. So Philippians 3 verses 3 to 7 reads, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us, but we put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own events, or in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So notice what, uh, notice why Paul feels so confident. There are two types of pedigree or two types of advantages that Paul lists. He lists the advantages that come from birth. He's circumcised on the right day. And for the Hebrews, this is very important. If you are circumcised after the eighth day, you're just not as legitimate because there is a specific rule that God said you need to be circumcised at this time. Notice he says he's of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. And the Benjamin is kind of like this honored tribe. It's a tribe where the first king of Israel came from. And so when Paul looks back on his lineage and he says, I'm a Benjamite, he's kind of saying, we're of that special clan. He was also a pure-blooded Hebrew. Then there were also advantages that he attained. He wasn't just born into those advantages. He was actually a legitimate, successful person. The Bible says that Paul is a super Hebrew. In Galatians 1 verse 14, and you don't have to turn there, it says, And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a super Hebrew. When he, says, when he talks about his zeal, he says he's a persecutor. So he's not just somebody who is excited about the truth and passionate about that which is right. He's passionate about persecuting those who do wrong. I don't know if you know someone who's so passionate about what they do that not only are they happy about the right, they get really upset about the wrong. And, you know, we kind of live in a um, more politically correct society where it's kind of it's good to just highlight the good. But when it comes to the bad, it's kind of we're unsure what to, how, how to respond to that. But when it comes to Paul, he's so zealous, he throws people in jail, he even takes the lives of others. So Paul's confidence is in what he was born with, and he was con his confidence came from his capabilities. And who he was was very socially valuable. Now enter Jesus. And he ends that part of the passage by saying, Jesus entered in and all was lost. We continue on Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, Yes, everything else is worthless 
when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. The excellence of the knowledge of Christ caused the things that Paul valued to reset. He had a reevaluation of all that he possessed, all that he achieved, all that he was born with. Paul says he lost his righteousness. He lost his success. There's a Billie Eilish interview that Vanity Fair does. And basically, they interview Billie Eilish for three years in a row to see how she answers questions differently. And one of the most interesting questions to me in that interview is they ask her, what is success? What does it mean to be successful? And for those of you who may not be familiar with Billie Eilish, she's, I think she's 18 right now. And she is this uh, successful uh, superstar. And she has these hit records. And she started her music career when she was 15 years old. Right? So she is this kid who becomes a multimillionaire, and at the age of 18, she can retire, not, which she's not going to. But I'm just saying she has kind of arrived at a certain place that's socially valuable. And so they ask her, what is success to you? She says, success is when other people think you're successful. Success is when other people think you're successful. Isn't that interesting? In other words, if you're off in an island by yourself and you're like, I've made it, but nobody else thinks that, she says, that, that doesn't count. Paul took an inventory of his life and thought, my professional social goals have been met. Everybody else thinks I'm successful. Enter Jesus. And Paul looks at all that he has accomplished and decides who Jesus is and what he is offer or what he offers is greater than my accomplishments it's greater than who i've become in other words i have not arrived see the righteousness that comes from Jesus totally redefines paul and it redirects his life paul let go of his success he decides who i am and what i've accomplished does not define my value True value only comes from Christ, and that far exceeds what the world can give. That's why church is so important. See, when you walk through these doors, this is the one place that regardless of who you are and what you've accomplished, you can rub shoulders and find community with anyone, any race, any accomplishment. Who you are is checked at the door and you become a follower of Christ and that's how we experience community. You know, one of the greatest um, bits of discrimination that I've felt is boarding an airplane. First class, business class, like economy? No, 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 no. But ever since we had kids, it's great because it's like two kids and they're like, okay, you can come to the front of the queue, Right? If you don't have the right ticket, the right money, the right status, you cannot hang with the others. And there are segmented parts of the airplane that you cannot enter into because you are not good enough. Church and God are different. You don't have segmented rows. Oh, sorry, only A-list holy people up front. 
Oh, oh, you're, you're grade C? I'm sorry. Go, go to the back. You know, this is the one, let's say, club that doesn't have distinction. And there's something so incredibly unique and socially healing about this place. And it falls, uh, the, the, this practice falls under the principle of the fact that God values us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul let go of his success. And by default, I want to say that he also lets go of his failures. See, all the people that he threw in jail and even killed, he could leave that behind and let go of the guilt, the shame, and the reputation. Can you imagine being Paul stepping into the Christian church and people thinking, hey, weren't you just killing us like a few months ago? And Paul's like, yeah, but I met Jesus and I believe in him. And that reputation would have lingered. It would have lingered. But Paul, because of Christ, is able to let go of the past. In Christ, he was able to have a new start, a new beginning. He was able to experience forgiveness. So I want to ask you today, is God asking you to leave something behind in 2019? What defined you in 2019? Was it what God wanted you to be known for? If the answer to that question is no, I was not known for what God wanted to be known, uh, wanted me to be known for. The good news is that we can leave that behind. I can leave back. I can leave behind the uh, the frustration the failure, the challenges. I can even leave behind the success. And sometimes success is just as great of a challenge as failure. Paul lets go and he presses forward. Here's how. If you look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, uh, verses 9 to 11, excuse me. The text says, and become one with him. And other translations will say, and be found in him. So Paul is saying, I want to be found in Christ. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. When Paul says he wants to be found in Christ positionally, he means he wants to know Christ relationally. And that's probably more accurately communicated in the New Living Translation. There's a chiasm in this passage. If you look at verses 10 and 11, there's a chiasm. And a chiasm is a literary mirror that communicates a specific message. It's a literary mirror that communicates a specific message. So if you look at verses 10 and 11, he starts off by talking about the power of Christ's resurrection. And then the next line, he says, the fellowship of his sufferings, and then be conformed to his death that I may obtain resurrection. So I don't know if you see that pattern. Resurrection, suffering, suffering, resurrection. And there's a mirror. And the Greeks use this literary feature to communicate specific messages. And in this case, what Paul is communicating is that you cannot separate suffering from glory. You cannot separate suffering from glory. 
See, Paul follows the path and the mindset of Christ from suffering to glory. And you're going to see, we're going to see this pattern that's found from Philippians 3, which we're reading, that is repeated from Philippians 2. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 5 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. We're going to see a pattern of suffering that leads to glory. Here's what the text, here's how the text reads. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Starts in heaven, condescends, steps down, steps down, steps down, steps down, and then God glorifies him. In contrast, when you read passages of scripture that describe Lucifer or the adversary or the enemy, you see the enemy being prideful, stepping up, stepping up, stepping up, and then losing his position. And so Paul looks at the model or the the footsteps of Christ and says, I will follow in suffering, and I will follow in glory. See, the, pa- the foundation for the pathway of glory is paved in suffering. A willingness to leave that which you, you uh, excuse me, a willingness to leave that which you desire and take on what God desires. For Paul, it was taking on a new identity. For Christ, it was becoming a man and dying on the cross. It requires. Uh, For us to do the same, it requires us to find our personal value through the eyes of God. It's so difficult to say, I will go through suffering. I don't know how many of you, if I were to ask a question, how many of you want to suffer for Christ? Would say, yes, me please. I'll take an extra helping of suffering. And so the question is, how does Paul do this? Well, he finds his value through the eyes and the perception of Christ. For Paul, it was no longer valuing his arbitrary status in his birth and his achievements and then finding the, excuse me, for Paul, it was no longer valuing his arbitrary status in his birth and his achievements and then finding the value that comes from the love of Christ. For Christ, it was leaving the worship and the adoration of the universe. It was becoming a man and proclaiming as a mortal that he was infinite. Think about Jesus' mission. He is actually God. And he becomes a human and has to tell people, I am God. And his whole life, the people that have influence, they think he's crazy, they think he's blaspheming, and they kill him. Right? And so the thing that allows Jesus to be willing to go through the suffering is that he says, God, I know I am your son. And the value that comes from you gives me the ability 
to then suffer. I was sharing earlier that um, I experienced highs and lows this year. And Jinha and I have been in full-time ministry. Well, I've been in full-time ministry since I was 19, actually. So from the age of 19, uh, most of my time was giving Bible studies to people, knocking on doors, and uh, kind of traveling in different places and working with the church. And as a full-time, as a official pastor, I've been in this role for seven years. And something happened last year where I just kind of hit a wall, and I just, I felt so discouraged. Kind of like, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm just not doing as good of a job as I should be doing. And I kind of looked around to my colleagues and my coworkers, and I felt like, man, they're achieving so much, and they're getting recognition, and people are saying how amazing they are. And I, just being at a low place, I remember thinking, well, I want some of that. Well, I don't feel like I have that. I, I don't feel value. And so the moment something small would happen, it would kind of blow out of proportion. I'd get really upset about it and then emotionally frustrated. And I was kind of like, I just want to throw in the towel. And to be honest, it wasn't any one particular thing. I just, it kind of, things just kind of took a toll. And I remember reading a book on burnout. And I'm, so I'm 36 years old and I'm reading this book on burnout and all these pastors are like, I pastor a 5,000 member church and I have a network of, you know, a hundred churches and I'm, I'm probably exaggerating that number, but these are pastors who are like in their fifties and they're like, and I, and I hit burnout and here I am at 36 going, man, <laughs> throwing the towel. <laughs> and I just kind of asked myself, why am I in this emotional state of frustration and I realized, you know, I'm looking, I'm wanting value from all these different people and these positions and these accomplishments, and it's just taking a toll on me. Like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. And then kind of asking myself the question, well, what does God actually value? What does God want me to do? And, and the more I thought about that and the more I thought about, well, you know, I've actually kind of lost sight of what Jesus means to me the fact that he died for me he forgives me he loves me and and kind of losing my value in that and turning to something else and I remember spending like hours looking at the next car what's the next car that I'm gonna buy hours looking at okay we're saving up maybe we can buy a house and then I'll feel filled and just not finding what I'm looking for in 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 those things and about the middle of the year, I called my supervisor and said, hey, I've kind of hit this wall. I, I'm going to cut back my hours, and I'm just going to – I just need to slow down because I'm not really sure what's going on. And he was like, don't worry. You take, you take the time that you need. And I told him, all right, well, I'm, I'm, gonna see a, I'm going to see a counselor. I'm seeing a, a professional person who can give me guidance and walk me through what I'm feeling. And going through that whole process and then kind of rediscovering God – your love is actually quite incredible. And there's so much that I can be thankful for. And I'm going to start focusing on those things. God, what have you given me? What can I, uh, there's so much in my life that I can enjoy. And, and I don't want to catastrophize this. I have a very easy, good life compared to so many people. So I, I don't want to feel like I'm complaining. Just that's where I was. And Coming up to September, October, November, and even December, and just 
recalibrating and reassessing how I find value and spending more time saying, you know what? I'm actually going to take a longer break. I'm going to spend time in prayer. You know what? I'm going to, I feel like there's so many things I need to do. I'm going to open up my Bible and I'm just going to spend time with God. God, I just need you to speak into my life. And you know, just taking an extra hour, an extra two hours each day made such a big difference of just reevaluating my value. And, you know, there are so many things that I was able to say, I'm going to let go of that, and I'm going to cling to this. And to be honest, it's a process. I'm still letting go. But emotionally, I feel so much more in tune with God. I feel so much more present with my family. And I feel value, even if I'm not doing a better job. <laughs> like, I feel value. And so, like, th- that was, anyway. <laughs> Things are getting better. That's what I want to say. Paul knew what he had to let go of and what he needed to cling to, and that gave him motivation to press forward. Let's look at one last verse, Philippians chapter 3, going back to Philippians chapter 3, and looking at verse 12. He writes, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. See, Paul has drive, he has motivation, he has hope because he senses God's presence in his life and he's able to practice perseverance. He says, God has a hold of me, so I'm going to keep pushing forward. And so today I want to tell you, God has a hold of you. God has a hold of you. And that, there is hope in that hold. There is hope in that hold. May you find that perseverance that Paul found. For the future belongs to those who persevere. The future belongs to those who persevere. The tendency for the sufferer is to give up. The tendency for the victor who has arrived is complacency. May you find value, humility, and hunger to continue on. May God bless you. Father God, it's our desire that you would meet us in this place, that we acknowledge that we are not enough and that we need you deeply in our lives. And we just pray that as we let go of some things of the past and cling cling on to others, may you direct our future. May your righteousness lead us, guide us, direct us. And may we reach that mark that we might receive that crown of glory. We pray this in your name.